over 40 years, he's seen a lot, starting with at 19 with a failed business, invested with Brad Feld early on, first angel investment. He's since taken many companies public, including his own, uh, bought back pieces, sold, invested, LPN venture funds. He's seen a lot. He's now codified that. This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Will Herman. He's an entrepreneur, active angel investor, corporate director, and startup mentor. He started and managed five companies, resulting in two IPOs and two corporate sales. Will has also invested in over 70 startups, sat on the boards of 20, and has advised over 100 plus. Will, are you ready to take us to the top? I am going to try. All right. You, you've seen a lot. And what I like about someone who's seen a lot is you can start to recognize patterns. First, give me give me a sense again of your sample size. What's kind of the total number of companies and what year did you start with startups? Well, I uh, started with startups when I was in uh, when I was college. What year? I'm going to give away. You're outing me here on my age. Uh, let's see. It was 1979 was the first startup I joined. I quit college and uh Joined a small startup outside of Philadelphia. This was ViewLogic? No, no. This was a company called Healthcare Computer Systems. It uh, defunct, died in 18 months. Uh, Why? Total mystery. Uh, that's a good question. I have no idea. Um, I was not a founder of it. I was, it was, uh, I was 19 years old, uh, first company I was in. And I'm pretty sure that that uh, after it failed, none of the founders could have told me why it failed. It uh, it basically hit a wall. My guess is it just ran out of cash. Didn't know how to manage it. Um, t- t- tell me about tell me about because uh, you have I mean hundreds of companies that you've either invested in directly or or as an LP or yourself run and started. Correct. Right. Correct. Yes. Tell me about. We're going to do two things real quick before we talk more about the book. Tell me about the one you lost personally the most money on. Ah, that oh, that's a story. That was an, actually an investment, not uh, one that I was active in. Although I did help the VCs spin it out of a uh, of another company. Company was called Quintus. Um, high flyer uh, went from nothing to sixty million in revenue. Went public. Um, and what then year? The jeez, uh, when was that? It was probably ninety ninety two or ninety three. Okay, uh, might have been ninety four. Um, and then let's just say the, um, the, uh, the, the, the CEO and founder did something that he shouldn't have done in terms of, uh, uh, creating sales that didn't happen to bolster his share price. And the whole thing came apart. He went away in shackles. What did he do um, specifically? He pulled like deferred revenue forward or something or what? Uh, he actually manufactured a sale that didn't actually happen. Interesting. So, uh, so it showed up on the books, a very big sale. Like and, forged, uh, assigned, like uh, sales yeah. contract. Oh, wow. How big yes, was that basically. sale for? Uh, a couple million bucks. Oh, wow. It okay. Was, uh, yeah. But it was from a very large company, um, Siemens. 
And uh, yeah, went downhill really fast there. I had put a bunch of money, a lot of money. How, how in much myself. of yours personally did you put in? I I had uh, I had pretty close to half a million dollars. In you, that. you know why I asked that, right? What? How painful or get you a spectrum? Because because we're, because we're going to talk about your book in a second. So if you want to save yourself from losing 500,000 bucks, right, you go read the book and you, then you learn you learn these lessons that he, you had to pay a lot for. I had to pay a lot for it. Yes, that's fair. Okay. Enough. So that one, Crash and Burn. Now let's flip the script real quick. Tell me about the one you made the most on personally. Uh uh, let's see, probably my, my own company, ViewLogic Systems was a pretty big success. Uh, we, uh, we started that in, uh, 1984, took it public in 91, uh, uh, sold it in 96 or 97. Good timing. About, uh, about a half, uh, it was about a half billion dollar deal, uh, when we sold it. Um, it was public at the time. Um, and then actually there's in, in a much longer story, we, um, we, uh, 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 a year after we sold it, we bought back about 75% of the revenue, 80% of the revenue of the company in an MBO, um, and then ran that, that company. Separately. Oh, that's a management buyout. We actually got venture funding about 50 or $60 million and bought the, uh, bought about a hundred and $120 million of revenue back. Um, was it SaaS and, back then, ARR, or was it like service contracts, renewing, maintenance contracts? Uh, it, no, it was, it was licensed software. It was uh, perpetually licensed software, the old school. And why were you – so you sell it for half a billion. Uh, well, it goes, I guess it, goes, it was taken private essentially. Why, did, why was there an opportunity for you to go in and do an MBO? I was actually uh, – it was absorbed by a public company. It was uh, purchased by a public company. Okay. Um, they really only wanted a small piece of the revenue stream from ViewLogic. And so we were able to go back to them after a year. It's required that you wait a year by the SEC and uh, propose that, gee, you're not really um, optimizing the rest of the company here. How about if we acquire it back? Why didn't you just uh, do that at the beginning, though? Why didn't you just roll out only the piece they wanted? Oh, we were a public company. You really couldn't sell off a piece. You can, but it's very difficult to sell off a piece of the company. I see. So especially a high revenue piece of the company. I see. Uh, so it's much easier to do it later. And it wasn't the initial plan, but we, because uh, we saw that they weren't optimizing it. So it was an obvious thing to do. So when they did absorb you, what were you doing in the trailing 12 months revenue? Uh, trailing 12 was probably 175 million, 160 million. Okay. And you bought back 120, assuming it didn't decline or they didn't turn a bunch of people. They kept about 40 million, which is what they really wanted. That's right. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. A guy like you, you're launching all these companies, you're involved. I imagine you, you like going all in on something. Why pause and take time to write a book? How do you do that? Yeah, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. So I, I, spend, I spend most of my time these days investing in companies, advising companies, mentoring, sitting on boards and things like that. Um, over the years, my co-author, Raj Bhargava and I, um, who also does many of the same things, uh, we're realizing that while we were advising these companies that ultimately the questions came down to a reasonable set of similar questions, the problems that startups run into a small set of similar problems, the attitudes, the, the issues. And uh, we kept saying to ourselves, why doesn't somebody just write these things down? And it fell on us. Eventually we said, okay, it's going to be us. Nobody else seems to be doing, so why don't we go ahead and do it? 
And so give us a bit, give, let us peer into the book a little bit. So give me kind of three rules that you have in here that you think most people wouldn't expect. Well, uh, the first is that, um, uh, in or, well, maybe not in order. Um, your idea really doesn't matter that much. Uh, brilliant ideas are just not that important. It's the great execution of a brilliant idea. That's really, really critical. Um, people miss that all the time. They think they discard ideas because they think they're too run of the mill when it's really good teams and excellent execution that pulls it off. Um, very simple. Um, two is that, uh, most people think fun- getting funding for their company is the top of their priority list. It's not, if you do it right, you can actually start slow to move really fast in the back end. And what do you um, mean by that start in the back end? So, so we, uh, uh, later on, so we have this concept in the book that we talk about, which is, look, if you really, if you really regiment the process early on, you know who your customers are, you know what your market is, you know what your differentiators are, you know, if you have product market fit, you've gone out and tested prototypes of what you're doing. You can all do that fairly cheaply without taking down a ton of money. Once you've done that and you've validated all of that, then you can move screamingly fast because your odds of getting getting through that initial introduction phase are much better, um, successfully much better than, um, than if you just keep on the accelerator from the very beginning, which is the common tone that you hear now with, with venture capitalists, with angel investors, everybody's fast, 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 fast. And we're like, no, 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 no. Take it slow at the beginning because ultimately it'll make you faster. You'll still get to customers with better products sooner. So, and use a lot less money. Number so one, number one idea doesn't as matter as much as great execution. Number two, starting slow is a, you know can be a good thing. You don't have to focus on raising capital. What's the third? Would you say the third is teams? <clears throat> sort of, sort of an obvious thing. Although um, a lot of people don't really think through who the founding team is, who the first employees are. Um, they they hire people who are available. They pick up people because, oh, it's my buddy, my drinking buddy. I'm going to do it with him or I once worked with that guy and I think he can write 10 lines of code. Um, and that's not the way to do it. I mean, you, you should you should think about your team. You should fill in your team with weaknesses you have, not fill in with strengths that you have. You know, build a strong team, initial team that can do everything you need at the beginning and then founding stage, add more people on that um, uh, that can then fill in new roles and expand the team without any overlap. Hey, are you going to SaaS stock in a couple of days? Remember, it starts on the 15th and 16th and it's in Dublin and it's a beautiful location. So I'm speaking on day one, which will be October 16th on the growth stage where I'm doing a live version of this podcast right on stage. I'll grill the founder. It's gonna be a nice surprise who it is. You guys are gonna enjoy it, but we're gonna do it live on stage. And then on day two, which will be October 17th, I'm giving the State of SaaS keynote where I'm presenting ARR data from over a thousand private B2B SaaS companies. That's at 220 on day two on the scale stage, the main stage. So 
I really hope to see you guys there. If you're a longtime listener of the show, make sure you email me beforehand. I'm doing something very special after the event. I want to make sure you get an invite. There'll be a lot of people there you want to meet, but I am doing, and I'm being very careful about curating it. So send me an email real quick. Do it right now. If you think you're going to come, that's uh, email it to Nathan at NathanLatka.com and put SAS in the title. Again, Nathan at NathanLatka.com. I hope to see you guys there. If you haven't got a ticket yet, you can get one at SASstock.com. S-A-A-S-T-O-C-K.com. All right. I'll see you guys there. So Will, with some of these ideas in mind, you know, I have a lot of friends spread across the country that are great at raising capital. They're really smart, but their idea just isn't that great or they're not executing on it well, but they can pay themselves comfortably for many, many years. So they're not incentivized to shut it down. For people in that kind of situation, how can we accelerate the shutting down process? Uh, tough one. Um, you know, most people don't realize that once you take venture capital, you are stuck. You're going for an exit. And that's what everybody wants. Of course, they also have, uh, you know, inflated views of what that exit is going to be. Um, but no, speaking as an angel investor, no investor wants to be involved in a company that the founders don't want to be involved in. So, you know, it's just it's just going to take a long time to die and it's going to be a long, painful death. So so the best way, as hard as it is, is to go to your investors and to say, look, I want to find a way out here. You know, we can transition this to other leadership if you really want to, um, or we can shut it down. I can find a way to distribute some of this income to you guys to offset your investment expense. But I'd say hit it head on because it's just no investor wants to be in that situation. It sucks. Yep. It's tricky. I call this almost like the funded company tax because the problem is the CEOs are not motivated necessarily to shut it down because they can keep paying themselves a comfortable salary. So, and then the VCs want to hold out. They don't want to have to go tell their LPs yeah. that they had to write down that year. <laughs> so you, exactly no right. one is incentivized to shut the thing down until it literally has no money left in the bank. But that could be years and years. That's a slow death. I'm trying to figure out, are there ways to accelerate that when the incentive structures are not there to accelerate it? Right. I, and I, as I said, I think I think the way to do is just hit it head on. As long as everybody knows, the founders know that they actually want out and they're not happy with this lifestyle business that they've got going, yep. uh, then hit it head on. Like I said, investors don't want to be in that situation either. Yep. Well, listen, I started diving into the book before we got it. In fact, I got it here on my Kindle here. It's the, the, startup, play, the startup playbook right there. Um, Very cool. Will, a question I've got for you, I have nowhere near the experience you have. So I'm curious how you're going to respond to this. When my first company, when I essentially returned as much capital as I could and then moved on, I quickly learned I am much more effective at buying companies and growing them than I am at starting them from scratch. What is more effective in your opinion, buying or building? Uh, well, uh, I, I don't think there's one answer to that. I, I hate to say it. I, I've actually acquired um I've probably acquired a dozen, 15 companies over time. And if you do them right, um, they're incredibly high leverage. Um, there, there are issues, of course, with doing it. And you have to be able to, to cut and add and, and make quick moves. As you know, you have that, you have that experience. Um, but when you're building something, when, you're, when, you're, when what you're working on is sort of core to your long-term strategy, I feel like there's no no better value of developing that in-house, of creating that yourselves, because you can't get your hands around the, the technology or the customers or the employees or the internal talent 
um, by acquiring. It just, you never really, um, never really adopt it as core. But if it's not core, then it's perfectly reasonable, perfectly reasonable. And of course, faster to acquire. And, you know, I'm, I don't know if how you feel about it, but it's also pretty fun. M&A is, is a lot of fun. Tell me about the one of the 35 acquisitions you did, the one that performed the best for you in terms of, you know, gains for yourself and your shareholders. Um, well, we acquired, we, we, let's see, at, when I was at VLogic, again, a VLogic story, but um, we, we acquired, we acquired a company that had a, a technology that we kept failing in creating. We tried, put a lot of money into it, kept failing. How much money did you put into it? Over time, we probably put, you know, 20 or $30 million into building the product. Eh, maybe that's a little high, but it not, that's the order of magnitude. And it's, what was the tech? Close. Um, the tech, the, the company was a, uh, electronics CAD company. So we built software to help IC designers like Intel, AMD build chips. And, um, this technology was a fairly new technology that helped you just describe how a chip work in a language instead of actually drawing them physically. You could describe it and then it um, it converted that into um, uh, into the right componentry. And uh, and so we we struggled building it ourselves. We acquired a company uh, and uh, their technology was far enough advanced. Actually, it was, it was very advanced. It held on its own while we were able to get all of our ducks in line and build an internal organization around it to carry it forward. And it led the market for, well, until we sold the company. It's, um, it, it was a big success, but it was a big success only because it was advanced enough and we could take the time to own it. And bring it forward ourselves. What'd you pay? What'd you pay for that technology back? What that was 20, 30 years ago now, 40 years. Yeah. Stock deal. It was probably, probably worth uh, 50, 50 or 60 million at the time. And how much revenue were they doing at the time? Oh, uh, I don't remember. Maybe 20 million. I can't, I can't remember exactly, but that, I mean, those are rough numbers. Sure. Sure. And what, what was the team size? Cause that was the real reason you're doing it. Uh, maybe 40 or 50 people. Okay. So fairly substantial. Yeah. And just to be clear, yeah. that was after you were listed. That was after you public, but before you, before the other company bought you, right? That's correct. Okay. That is correct. Yes. Interesting. So when all these other acquisitions that you've done, will you only do them when you have a parent company and you're doing a roll-up strategy or will you buy one of these to create like a new hub to then do a roll-up under? Um, I've never done it that, that way. Um, you know, that, um, that's sort of a, the, the latter way being sort of a private equity way, you know, yep. a, a classic way of creating multiple, creating something out of multiple other things. I've been, um, on the boards of companies that have done that. Um, that's a hard strategy to pull off. Um, I, it works. People, people can do it, but it's difficult because everything's different. The people are always different. The cultures are different. The technologies are different. Um, Sometimes if you do it really well, you can get overlapping people and technologies and you can start cutting and you can um, take advantage of the multiplicative effect of these things. But of course, the prices all have to be right. So when you look at like an ESW or Constellation, I think maybe the best example is Vista. I mean, they really done this at scale, Vista Equity Partners. What would you credit their success to considering all these risks you just articulated? 
I, I, they, they obviously have very good operational people involved. They are either bring them in from outside or, or inside the organizations themselves. These, these are, this requires, um, super operations, super, really good, you know, super good management to make that all work. <clears throat> all right. Well, let's, uh, let's last thing here about the book. So get you, before we wrap up with the famous five, I mean, who really is this book for? Is it for this, the person listening right now that's less than a million in ARR and they're just starting, or is it for the seasoned executive that's thinking about going public? Who's it for? It's really for first time entrepreneurs. I mean, yeah. certainly there's plenty in it for, uh, for people who, you know, uh, who have done it and who are later in stages. We have a bunch on execution in the book, but it's really targeted at first-time entrepreneurs. Very good. All right, let's wrap up here, Will, with the famous five. Number one, besides your own, what's your favorite business book? My favorite business, um, uh, 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 venture, uh, uh, what's, what's venture the- Venture Deals uh, by Brad Feld? Venture Deals, yeah. Venture Deals is, is uh, I think it's, it's, it's a book every, every startup should read. You're, very, you're very close with Brad. Yes, I can. <laughs> to be fair. Yeah, that's good. Numbered. You did one of the, I mean, was that his first angel deal? I know your first angel deal was with him, right? Actually, yes, we did. Uh, Net, Net Genesis in Boston in the early 90s. That's great. All right. About the year I was born. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Number two, uh, is there a CEO will you're following or studying right now? I, I'm sorry. I just, just sure. cut out there for a second. No problem. Is there a CEO will that you're following or studying currently? Um. Uh, no. Well, I mean, I, everybody studies Elon Musk. Um, uh, uh, you know, just, you know, can, can you go balls to the wall, um, you know, constantly and make it all work? And he continues to pull it up. And Jeff Bezos, too, is, is, um, is, uh, is a great one to follow. I, I, I read about him a lot. Good. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building these businesses? Uh, Excel. I'm sorry, I'm an old school guy. All right, you're, well, you're, you're, I'm trying to help you here, but you're really aging yourself. Uh, uh, no, no, number, okay, slack. So there slack. we go. Now, now you're hip and cool. All right, yeah. number four. How many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, uh, I'm, I am, I am in bed lying down eight. I probably get five or six. Oh, so you get up pretty early, huh? Uh, no, I go to bed very late. Oh, oh, five, sorry, five, eight, eight a.m. No, 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 no. Sorry, sorry. No, I, I'm, I, I get into bed and I'm in bed for about eight hours. But oh, okay. About five. Sorry about that. Got it. Got. It. I thought you said you you were in bed by eight p.m. Or, no, or no, I misunderstood no, you. No. All right. And last few here. What's your current situation? Married, single. You got kiddos. I am uh, married, two kids, uh, both out of college, off on their own, doing their own thing. That's great. And how old are you, Will? I am 58. Okay, last question. Take us back to your 20-year-old self, that boy that was joining that startup that ultimately failed. What do you wish your 20-year-old self knew? Uh, <laughs> what I, what I, I, I wish I had, if I could rephrase a little bit, I, I wish I had the guts to ask more questions. I, I, was, too, I was too introverted to, to ask questions, and I didn't learn as fast as I could have. Guys, there you have it from Will. He's seen a lot. Over 40 years, he's seen a lot, starting with at 19 with a failed business, invested with Brad Feld early on, first angel investment. He's since taken many companies public, including his own, uh, bought back pieces, sold, invested, LP and venture funds. He's seen a lot. He's now codified that with his co-founder and the startup playbook. Uh, go check it out now. Will, thank you so much for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan. It's been a blast. 